It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop in all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Ajax review episode, and it is brought to you by Betstamp the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this review, and he's certainly no stranger to the pod. Vincenzo Bertillo, welcome back. It's great to be back, as always, Joe, especially after such a historic win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's basically where I want to start off, because, you know, I can't think of another match ever like this one. Just to recap quickly, not that anyone doesn't already know this, but Napoli absolutely pummeled Ajax 6-1 to in their stadium. Mohamed Kudus opened the scoring before Napoli took control of the match. Giacomo Raspadori, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and Piotr Zielinski scored in the first half, and then Raspadori, Cavara, and Simeone scored in the second half. I always say that blowouts are the sort of hardest matches to review because it's just nothing but good. It's, I find it's a bit easier to podcast, uh, you know, when you're being critical of something. But again, like in your time as an Apple fan, going back however far back, and, you know, we've played a lot of times in the Champions League. I haven't seen anything ever like this. Have you? Well, I don't think anyone has ever seen anything like this because we're the first Italian team to score more than 10 goals in their first three Champions League group games ever, ever. No other Italian team, let alone Napoli, has done this three games in a row, culminating with this final, this last game against Ajax. I mean, I certainly haven't seen it, and I don't think anyone else has either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had plenty of memorable Champions League matches, but I feel like most of those matches were special because we were sort of the small guy, the underdog, 
getting wins against some European greats like Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, even draws we celebrated, PSG, Barcelona, Bayern. But this is entirely different. Like We are absolutely thrashing teams. Obviously, Rangers, not the greatest. It's debatable how good this IX team was. They beat Rangers by a greater margin than we did. They held Liverpool to a 1-1 draw until the dying minutes of that match. And they had a great start to the Eta Divisi season. And then they've dropped off a little bit in the last couple of matches. So it's hard to say whether they're a great team or not. Liverpool as well, they've they've had their struggles this season. But that is still you know a team with a super budget, certainly much bigger than ours. And we are absolutely destroying these teams. This was Ajax's worst defeat ever in the Champions League or in European competition. It was their worst defeat in any competition since the 1960s. As you said, we're scoring goals like crazy. We've outscored our opponents by a total of 13-2 to over the first three matches of the group stage. After the Liverpool match, Jurgen Klopp said it was his, his worst defeat in his time at Liverpool. So there really isn't anything else like that. What made this result even more impressive for me was that we conceded the first goal, but it didn't really seem to phase us at all. Do you think that's an indication of just how confident this team is playing at the moment? Absolutely. I think we're more confident than ever, and that confidence is going to continue to grow with each one of these performances. I think we're mentality monsters. Where where we really lacked in the past was that mentality, and I feel like this new team with the new regeneration that we've had this past summer, bringing in the likes of Kim, Guevara, Oliveira, etc., those who came close to winning with Napoli but failed and had those scars are gone. And now we have this, these new, young, hungry players who have been added into the mix and have taken our mentality to a completely different level. We were not phased at all. Away at Ajax, in their stadium, with all of their fans going crazy, going down at the eight-minute mark, and yet by halftime, it was 3-1. That's incredible. Incredible. We've talked about this before, about the pressure that was on the previous generation of players. And I can't help but think that because sort of expectations were so low at the start of the season, heading into the season, because we had lost so many key players and we didn't know what to expect from a guy coming from Georgia or a guy that's coming from the Turkish league. It just so happens they've been Sedia's last two players of the month, the first two of the season, and Kavada and Kim. I mean, you've been big on Kim for a long time, so I'll give you credit for that. But the general fan base had very low expectations for this team. A lot of people were saying, you know, top four at best, or we're going to finish in somewhere between fourth and sixth with the way Roma had their summer. And I think that's probably taken some of the pressure off of the players as well. They're just playing kind of freely. It'll be interesting to see how they play as those expectations start to change. I think after this match, everyone is talking about Napoli, not just Napoli fans. I mean, you can't ignore a result like this. You can't ignore how Napoli have played in the Champions League, which is one of the reasons why you want to play in the Champions League in the first place, because the exposure and obviously the financial benefits that you get. Caltra Finanza published an article doing a quick estimate just on how much money Napoli have already collected in the Champions League with these results, because there's so many different payment schemes that you get out of the Champions League. And it's already up to something like 50 million euros, which is 
already more than what the Scudetto winner gets. It just tells you the, the scale of this competition. But going back to the confidence of this team, even the Torino match was right after an international break. And that didn't seem to phase the team either. Like we, we got a great result at Milan and then we had to stop for two weeks for the international break. And there's concerns, you know, are we going to lose the momentum that we had at the start of the season? And we just picked it up and just slaughtered Torino in the first half and didn't even have to play in the second half. In terms of conceding first, it was the third time this season that we've conceded the first goal and still went on to win the match rather comfortably. The first was against Hellas Verona in the opening round of the season. And though they made it somewhat difficult until you know early in the second half, we ended up blowing them away 5-2. to two. Then two and a half weeks later, we conceded to Lazio in the fourth minute of that match. Matias Akani scores that goal. We won the match by a narrow margin. It was only 2-1. to one. But basically, right after we conceded that opening goal, we took control of the match. We methodically got back into it. We methodically took the lead. And it never really seemed like it was in doubt. I still felt like that was a comfortable victory, even though we only won by one goal. And then obviously in this match, we saw what happened. And just like against Liverpool, we easily could have scored a few more goals in this match. Like This realistically could have been an 8-1, 9-1, 10-1 type of result between some of the saves that Pazvir made between Ndombele hitting the bar, some of the chances that we squandered that were really good quality chances. Another thing that stood out to me in this match and really in a lot of our matches so far this season is just how close-knit this team has already become. Have you noticed that as well? Absolutely. I think we've always had a good atmosphere at this Napoli other than during the Ancelotti, you know, little dispute that they had there. But for the most part, we've always had a good atmosphere. But I think now, because so many new players came in together, it's almost like they're forming, they're forming a new group where they feel like they're on this journey together now. And th- their confidence is growing together and they're all in it together. And I believe that, of course, all of these players have their individual egos and they want to be the ones to shine. But at the same time, I really think that the group ego is being put before the personal ego. These players really care about the club and wanting the club to win and being a part of this club as we win rather than it just being all about themselves. And I noticed I, I, I was watching... Um, I think it was the Fiesta Gamer reactions in the stadium. And you just, I think it was after the Simeone's goal where they all just hugged and huddled. And, and I mean, you love to see that. And even like the Di Lorenzo goal when he runs and he he's partying with the whole uh, backroom staff, like stuff like that, that's, that's really shows you how much everyone is so invested and how much this club means to these players. And I think that that's a, a great sign for us going forward. Yeah, there were so many of those little instances where we saw, you know, what a great team this is and and not just what they're doing during the match. Like you said, Di Lorenzo running to, I think it was Domenichini on the sideline and giving them a big hug. And Spalletti commented on that after the match about how, you know, there's relationships and friendships that are formed in the locker room and in training and all these things, not just between players, but with the staff as well. But Spalletti really goes out of his way to include all of those people as part of the team. You mentioned the celebrations after the match. One of the guys who seems like he will just do whatever the coach asks him to, whatever the club asks him to, even if it means playing five minutes a game, is Giovanni Simeone. And and he's still scoring. He's still producing. But you really feel like 
everyone is kind of feeding off of that positive energy that that he's putting out there you know the way he reacted after he scored that goal the first time he scored was obviously an emotional one you know his dream of scoring in the champions league that he fulfilled this time it was a different kind of emotion and he just kind of yelled up to the kurva and everyone came over to him and you know after the match i don't know if you noticed it but everyone that went up to him he had a big smile on his face and they couldn't help but have a big smile on their faces every time they gave him, you know, a high five or a hug or whatever. There were a few other little moments that again, I mean, and they're not even just necessarily interactions between the players, but some of their behaviors. And we saw a couple from Cavada, who's just been like a brush of fresh air. He's this young kid. He's not afraid of anything, maybe a little bit naive in you know, sort of a good way where after he was taken out of the match, he was still calling for fouls and complaining while he's sitting on the bench. There was the yellow card, the first yellow card that Tadic got. That happened because Cavada, I think he was calling Tadic over and, and the official actually went over because he wanted to show him, I guess if there were stud marks or a scrape or something on Oliveira's leg after that tackle. And Tadic ends up getting a yellow card. And then in the second half, he gets a second yellow and he gets sent off. So it seems like there are so many of these just little little instances of camaraderie that are going on. And I don't know, do you think, I hate to even suggest anything at this point, but there is starting to develop this sort of special feeling that we saw at Milan last season. Absolutely. I think that is undeniable. Whether or not we're going to translate that into a trophy, that's still up in the air. But the fact that this team is special and there's something different about this specific Napoli team that we're witnessing right now in its early stages. I, I don't think that's even deniable at this point. And, and you know, you can even see it on their social media, the way Kvara talks to Angisi, calls him his big brother. And you just see like all these types of relationships being formed. Simeone has come in. He's been a breath of fresh air, as has Raspadori. I mean, I think every single signing we made this summer, from a technical point of view, but also from a personality point of view, have been key. Like Ostegard hasn't featured much, but it's clear to me that he cares about this team and has a strong mentality. Likewise, Kim, Oliver, all of these guys, they came in and they're happy to be a part of this team. And look at Simeone. Yeah, he may have scored 17 goals last year with Hellas Verona as the main man. And now he's not the main man, but he's playing games that matter. Every goal he scores, it's now it's in the Champions League or it's in if it's in the league, you know, we're fighting at the top. And I think now finally at 27 28 years old to be part of a team where we're actually fighting for stuff that matters i think that that's so huge and i think the sky is the limit for this team because of the fact that we can be the hammer and we can be the nail you know we've been the hammer more often than not blowing these teams away oftentimes getting a lead by half time and then we we're able to take it easy in the second half which is great but also we saw versus Milan when our midfield was tired and they were dominant that we can actually sit back and defend and then work our way into the game. And frankly, even the best Napoli team of the last 10 years or so, Sadi's team, we had to play our best and win. But if we weren't playing our best with that team, we couldn't win. And this team wins in so many different ways. We score goals in, with many different patterns from set pieces to touch and go to long balls. And I think that because of that, we're difficult to prepare for. And I really think that the sky is the limit. Whether or not we get to that final promised land remains to be seen. But it's undeniable that we've grown. Yeah, and you're already seeing that sort of same thing happening at Lazio too, right? Where 
when Lazio are on, they're practically unstoppable. We saw that against Spezia. They, I mean, fine, it's Spezia, but when they're playing their game, they can't be stopped. But like you said, if they're not on their game, they're dropping points, right? And we're finding ways to win games, which again was a quality that Milan had last season. I think we also need to give Cristiano Giuntoli a ton of credit, not just for identifying the, the talent. I think that's undeniable. I mean, it's, of course, now we got all the papers linking him to a move to Juve like they do every year, but anything to destabilize Napoli, I don't see that happening, to be honest. And yeah, we have players that are playing really, really well. But beyond that, and this is something we've mentioned on the show as well, there are a lot of players who insisted that Napoli was where they wanted to be, whether it was Simeone saying he only wanted Napoli and, you know, we were linked with him for a while and he ended up coming. Same thing with Raspadori, same thing with Kim, Ostegard, all of these guys, as you said, some of these guys like Ostegard who are barely playing, but they seem to be having a good time. They seem to be enjoying the victories as much as anyone else they they have a role still in the team even if it's just in training or the odd appearance but it seems to me at least that they made a conceited effort to bring in guys that really wanted to be at the club and and now we're starting to reap the benefits of some of that i've been a massive fan of juntoli for the whole time he's been at napoli i really think that the way that we're able to scout players is unparalleled across europe yeah, like there's teams like Man City and stuff. They get players like Holland and stuff when you're paying the big bucks. But pound for pound, dollar for dollar, no team scouts and has the successful scouting rate like we do. I mean, Kvara and Kim together cost $30 million, And they came from two disparate leagues, Georgia and Turkey. You know, It's unbelievable the way we're able to identify these players from all over the world, frankly, and bring in the players, not only like you saying with the right mentality and, and personality, which has been really key this summer, but like you have to say like right now, Kim and Kvara, by far the best signings in the Serie A, if not, if you take into account their, their pay, the best signings across Europe, like you might, someone might say, oh, but Holland was the best signing. Okay. But he was 60 mil and everyone, you don't need a scout to pick Holland as your striker. I could pick Holland as your striker. Do you know what I mean? But the fact that we're able to get these guys and the money we spent, it's mind-blowing. Most of the best teams hope to have like a 60% ratio of like successful signings to unsuccessful signings, and that's considered great. But I honestly think that if you go over signing by signing this summer, we have been a clear upgrade on everyone with the maybe you can argue uh, Kim being an upgrade on, on Koulibaly. But what's clear to me and was clear to me before Kim even came, because I've been researching him a while, is he's certainly not a downgrade, at least not from what we've seen so far. So it's really unbelievable. And I think that, you know, there are going to be books written about Juntoli and the signings that were happened this summer, because I, I just really think it's historical. He's always been great at it, but usually it's like one or two players that we can turn into profitable sales later on. Whereas this time it was such a massive overhaul. And then, of course, you have to give Spalletti credit for making it all work together and getting these guys all on the same page. The other thing is, like, there are clubs that are really good at scouting, you know, Borussia Dortmund, the Leipzig teams, although they have a whole sort of network of things that they do that people may or may not like. You know, even Ajax, when I was researching this for the preview to this uh, on Forza Napoli Press, they sold players for 200 million euros in the summer 
and they only spent about half of that and they still started the season 6-0 or whatever it was but what we're doing that these other teams are not doing is we're still competing for top of our domestic league in a top five league like Ajax of course they always compete for the title in the Eredivisie but there's not as much competition there and and just the league in general is not as high of quality and they're certainly not competing at this level in the champions league so to be able to scout really well but perform at a really really high level to me is just like as you said there needs to be books written about this and there probably will be all right that will do for part one in part two we'll talk about some standout performances Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Fortsonopoly podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sportsbooks in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. All right, so let's get to some individual performances, which is sort of difficult to do because everyone played so well. Our friends Rafa Rispo and Raf Biz at the Napoli Rant awarded their beast of the match to the entire squad, and I completely agree with that. I mean, again, the way this team played collectively, it's hard to pick just one person to be your beast of the match. But I do want to start with Jack Raspadori. Vincenzo, he was immense once again. He's getting better and better the more he plays and gels with the team. But I, I was high on him to begin with because I just think that, you know, if you look at the landscape of Italian football, Italian players in particular right now, it's my opinion that he's by far the most promising young Italian attacker. And to be a team in the Italian league, to buy one of the most promising young Italian attackers that we have, from a team that's notoriously hard to buy from, especially for us, like Sassuolo, it's been unbelievable. And what, what I really like about him is I personally thought he's more of a left winger and he's not going to play very much in the central role. But even as a false nine or as a short number nine, because frankly, he's playing like a real number nine in, in his own way that he interprets it, he's been great. And uh, I mean, we have so many weapons now to choose from. It's almost like... a we're overwhelmed with the riches of it. And what I love is with everyone's personality, the way it is with Raspadori starting and then Simeone coming off the bench and vice versa, we're so interchangeable and hard to predict that way. And I just think that his personality is infectious. The way he's playing, the fact that like he's the shortest guy on the field and he's scoring with headers. It's just, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I don't, I don't even, I'm at a loss for words with this kid. It's, I just think that it was a very smart signing. And though we had a lot of fans saying, oh, he was 35 million. He was the most expensive signing we made. Where is he going to fit? Well, the answer is, look, he's been featured a lot and he's made the difference pretty much every time he's featured. 
and we're playing every three days this season. He's going to be featuring a lot more, even when Osimhen comes back, whether that be helping out Kvara when he's subbing for him on the left or in the central role. I was listening to the Italian football podcast earlier today, and they do a Q&A pod every Thursday. And one of the questions was, if you could compare Raspadori to another diminutive, they said Napolitan player, and you'll understand why. And they said either Toto Di Natale or Ciro Mertens, who obviously wasn't born in Napoli, but we consider him not to be Napolitan. And Nima on the show picked Mertens, and he does kind of give off that same type of vibe of that small guy, but super positive, super energetic. He seems a bit sturdier as well, and obviously he's he's much younger. He's still only 22, which is mind-boggling because he's so mature for his age. It's funny because I keep picking Simeone to start in my predicted 11s just because we have him. Raspadori has been playing a lot more. It kind of makes sense to play the guy who's well-rested, but I guess Spalletti figured he might as well roll with the guy who's in form and he just keeps on delivering. He scored two goals and added an assist in this match. He now has six goals in his last seven matches for club and country, one in Serie A, three in the Champions League, and two in the Nations League for Italy. And he's not padding the stats. Like He's scoring really important goals, as you alluded to. He scored the late winner against Spezia, very late, I think it was 89th minute. He scored the second goal against Rangers, which kind of put that match away because I think that was pretty late in the match as well, 85th minute, if I recall correctly. He scored the game-winning goal in both of Italy's matches in the Nations League. Now, fine, yes, it's just Nations League, but still, you know, for where Italy is and trying to get back into form on a, on a national level, and Italy only scored three goals in those two matches, and Respadori scored two out of those three goals. Maybe he was padding the stats a little bit with the second goal in this match, but the first was just a massive equalizer after falling behind early again in a very hostile environment or just a tough environment to play in. The Johan Cruyff Arena is known to be one of these difficult places to play. So yeah, I can see why Spalletti is playing him because the guy just keeps delivering. You kind of touched on this just a minute ago, but do you have any concerns with how Spalletti's going to integrate all three of his strikers once he gets Osimhen back? Absolutely not. I'm not one of these fans who thinks, oh, we have an embarrassment of riches. That's a problem. I think that it's never a problem, especially in this era of five subs. I mean, that is a game-changing factor that a lot of people are not taking into consideration, even though we've had it for a few years now. I mean, we have five subs. We're playing every three days. You know, usually I hope that everyone can remain healthy, but oftentimes you have one person who may be injured or may not be informed, and and we need this. And the fact that Raspadori can play centrally or on the left in the, you know, I don't even want to put it out there that uh, Kvara may not be able to play for some time, but let's just say even if we want to give Kvara a rest, you can play Raspadori on the left with Simeone or Osimen in the middle and then bring on one of the others to sub. So I don't see a problem with it whatsoever. And, and I don't think they would have signed on knowing basically it's Raspadori was the Mertens replacement. Simeone was the Petania replacement. They came in to replace players. They knew that they were going to have to play this role and they, they knew what they were signing up for. And so because of that and the way that they've already been able to have minutes in this early stage of the season, I think that's the last thing we should worry about. I think in order to win, we need to have this kind of uh, a problem, so to speak. I completely agree. They all knew that 
Osiman was the starting number nine when they signed up. So whatever their expectations were, it would have been as a support role in, in some fashion or another. There are a couple of benefits. Obviously, this is a great problem to have. For me, because we're playing so well, I'd almost give Osiman extra time to recover because, you know, these muscle injuries, I mean, it'll be difficult because he's so competitive and he's going to want to play right away, especially in the Champions League. But we don't need to rush him back because there's no need to. We're getting good results and, you know, make sure he heals up properly so that when he does come back, he doesn't aggravate that injury. And then the other thing that I find interesting is I think Spalletti has made it a point and he's really emphasized that he doesn't, you know, it's it's similar to something he said from the very beginning, which was that he doesn't have 11 starters, that he has, you know, 23 players and everyone plays a role, even though he kind of, you kind of do know who his preferred starting 11 is. But I feel like it's a little bit different now in the sense that he'll talk about guys coming off the bench, perhaps being the most important, because you might have, and, you know, you think back to games like, Pretty much uh, like every time we've utilized Simeone, he's come off the bench and often scored the winner for us. You know, he did that versus Liverpool and he's done that a lot. I mean, I think it's so true what Spalletti's saying, especially in this era. And it's good for him to foster that mentality throughout the group, even if, quote unquote, we have starters. Everyone needs to feel like they have a role to play. Yeah. And I think it was the Milan match where, you know, even when Raspadori seems like he's not having a good match, which that's a little bit difficult to judge because he's another player like Osiman who does so much off the ball and so much beyond just scoring that you can't judge him just purely on goals, which he's doing anyways. But then, you know, one of the, the benefits is that when you have effectively a 1A, 1B, and 1C is that your first option can tire out the defense and then you bring on another great player like imagine being the torino defense when they have to put up with raspadori all game he's just destroying them he's dropping really deep he's pulling players out of position he finally goes off and then here comes giovanni simeone to replace him you know so and spalletti's talked a lot about that about how sometimes it's whether it's between Raspadori and Simeone or Politano or Lozano, sometimes it's the guy that's coming off the bench that's the more important one because in a game where it's tied or you're behind, those are the guys that are coming on to score goals. So, you know, when you position it that way, it doesn't really matter whether you're starting or not and everything just seems to be going as planned at the moment. Speaking of which, you know, one of the guys who (laughs) I have been not down on, but certainly in my opinion wasn't, showing as much progress as some of the other new signings, especially out of the late signings, is Tangi Ndombele. He came on at the start of the second half for this match. It was his third match where he played 45 minutes, but I think the first two might have been the first half, and then he was taken off at halftime. This was the first time he came on at the start of the second half. And it looked to me like he actually has now made progress as well. Did you get the same impression? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been following Ndombele for some time, and I know the, the, the good and the bad about Ndombele. But the fact of the matter is, in terms of talent and skill and technique, he has it all. He absolutely has it all. The only question was, is he going to be able to get his physical level higher? Which, obviously, you have to give him benefit of the doubt because he hadn't played in some time. I think that now 
he's starting to get physically better. He's starting to gel with the team, know the way his coworkers play. And then on top of that, I really do think that it was a mistake to make him kind of the sub for Lobotka early on the way Spalletti was using him. I don't think he's that type of player. I think he's much more suited to box-to-box or attacking type of uh, Metzala, similar more to, and not that he is similar to Zielinski, but he can play that role more, more so than the Lobotka role. And I think that Spalletti's playing him in a better position. His physicality is getting better and he's getting used to everyone around him. And so he's starting to express himself and, I have to say, Spalletti, if anyone can get the best out of Ndombele, it will be this coach because he has a track record. I mean, even Spalletti on his down years is great with midfielders. So I really think that, you know, he has the full season to show what he can do. And he's starting to do that already. And I think that, God willing, if he continues to grow in the second half of the season, Ndombele is going to be one of the protagonists for us and really help us out because even though our starting midfield is pretty much untouchable. We're playing a lot of games and we're going to need a guy like Ndombele to come in. And I mean, the assist that he made in this game, even if it was the end of the game against 10 men, to reach around, like barely reach the ball and be able to twist it and angle it just so that it lands right in front of Simeone like that, not a lot of players can pull that off. It was really amazing to see. And I just hope that he can reach his ceiling because if he can, we have another world-class midfielder to add to the mix. That pass was just sort of his technical ability in a nutshell right there. And I don't think anyone ever doubted that aspect of his game. The one thing that I always heard from a lot of people, a lot of Tottenham fans or fans of other clubs that were aware of his style was that whether he had the same work ethic, whether he worked hard enough. And I don't even know if that's necessarily the case or if it's just his style of play comes off as a little bit lackadaisical. But one thing that really stood out to me in this match was that he seemed to have a much better grasp of where he needed to be. You know, in the first couple of appearances, he seemed kind of out of place, sometimes too close to a teammate, sometimes too far. He seems like he's starting to get a feel for the system, a feel for the way Spalletti wants his players to play. And that is something that just comes with time. And maybe for some players, it takes a little bit longer. Maybe for midfielders, it takes a little bit longer than it does for strikers, especially in this midfield that is so dynamic. There's so much movement. You really need to develop that chemistry with your teammates to be able to to figure that out. And I really felt like in this match, he, he hardly made a, a poor touch. You know, I can't really think of many poor plays and his confidence looked like it was growing as well he was starting to dribble a little bit more sure in the two appearances he's had in the champions league it was both against clubs that had a player sent off so say for half of the time that he was on the pitch or whatever it might be but i thought this was his best performance so far in the short time that he's been with napoli and we'll have to wait and see how serious the injury to Zelensky is the club reported I think the same day of the match that he exited the match at halftime due to a blunt force trauma to his right calf, which is not a super serious injury, but I suspect that'll mean that Ndombele will get the start against Cremonese. I thought he was going to start in that match anyways. I I figured there would be a good amount of rotation for for that match. Hopefully not too much and we don't get another sort of Lecce letdown type of performance. But I think, you know, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident in, in Dombele starting that match than than I did even before this match. Last player I want to ask you about, only because he's not a player that we've gotten to see a whole lot. 
and he happens to be a very close personal friend of ours is Matthias Oliveira. You know, he started at left back. What did you make of his performance in this match? You know, we have a great, a great new signing in Oliveira and a great problem, quote unquote, just like the Raspadori Simeone problem, where we have two great left backs, each with completely different characteristics. You know what I mean? Just like Raspadori and Simeone are so different as strikers, Oliveira and Rui have completely different characteristics, and yet they're both great. And I love that. And I think, to be honest, Oliveira, the way he played against Liverpool already won me over. I thought he was a beast to play that game. He was dominant and he was amazing in the Liverpool game. And I thought he was also great against Ajax. I think there's a reason why he's featuring in a lot of these games in Europe. I think he's a, you know, he brings maybe a little bit more defensive security than Rui. Not that Rui doesn't position himself well, but sometimes, I mean, just purely by the fact that Rui is a small guy in the defensive line is a bit of a natural weakness that he has. Whereas Oliveira is big, strong, but he's also showing that he's able to get assists, you know, in different ways than Rui has, who's also been getting assists. But Oliveira is he's seeming to be great at crosses. He's defensively strong. He's a physical beast. And I mean, he has that typical Uruguayan uh, grinta, which we always have loved with all the Uruguayan players. He's another one of the brilliant signings we've had. We're going to probably start to see more and more of him throughout the season. But I don't think we even need to worry about, oh, is it going to be him or, or Rui? One or the other. And I'm happy either way. I, I don't have that nervous feeling when a backup is playing. And in fact, I don't even really know who's better. It's almost just like, what flavor are you? Do you like chocolate or vanilla? It's up to personal taste. And I think that the fact that we have both on that side is, is really key. And against teams like Liverpool, you know, where we know they're really fast, really big, really strong physical teams, or even Ajax, who play a very fast, quick European brand of football, we can play Oliveira and feel completely safe with him there. I thought he played a great game. It's funny because Schroeder, before the match in his pre-match press conference, said that he commented specifically on Mario Rui and what a great delivery he has. <laughs> and, you know, I, I suspected Oliveira was going to start this match because he had started in, in the Liverpool match. But yeah, he. I completely agree with your point that there's no bad option. And even though they're both left-footed left-backs, they do have very different styles and very different characteristics. His size is definitely an asset. He won a couple of uh, balls in the air, clearing out crosses. He plays a little bit more like Teo Hernandez at Milan in that you know he's very attack-minded and he likes to dribble towards the middle of the park, which we saw you know, on that first goal. And then he played the the cross to assist on that goal. By the way, I forgot to mention earlier, but the way Raspadori contorted his body to head that ball and was just a, another unbelievable uh, play. Unbelievable. Yeah. But on Oliveira, yeah, he tends to drift more towards, run towards the middle of the park, whereas Mario Rui likes to run towards the wing and play in the cross. But I completely agree. And, you know, Mario Rui is not getting any younger either. So I don't think he'll necessarily mind, especially when you're playing so many games. Like with this World Cup happening in the middle of the year, the season seems even more compressed than it has been in the past two seasons, even with COVID and all these other things going on. So, yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt to, to have two quality options at left back. And at the moment, like we seem to have quality options at every position you know we still haven't we've gotten only a taste of Ostegaard that's one player I feel really bad for Juan Jesus because uh you know he pretty clearly has been relegated to the fourth center back position 
but even then, like, you know, this team is so well balanced. And I know I'm kind of getting off of the subject in terms of Ajax, but even the guys that are not necessarily playing a lot of minutes seem like they have their specific role in the locker room. And I'm thinking Juan Jesus is one of those guys, you know, we see him kind of patrolling the Instagram accounts and <laughs> keeping an eye on these young guys and, and keeping them in check, sort of like a big brother or father figure. Sidigu is another one, you know, when, when Cavada went off, he took a pretty heavy stomp to his ankle. And I'm, I'm curious to see, hopefully there was no, no damage there, but Sidigu was the guy that was next to him, kind of looking down at his ankle while they're icing him and, and talking to him about it. Meret has co- already commented on Sidigu as well and, and what a great teammate he is. So it just seems like we have this great balance right now with the way this squad is built between veteran players, young players, players with different characteristics that play the same positions again Oliveira, Rui the midfield the wingers so yeah I mean everything is really clicking right now that's really all I had to chat about but was there anything else Vin before we wrap it up that uh, you wanted to comment on on this match or just on the team in general well on this match I will just say one thing is just you can't really find a negative with a match like this but the one negative that I will say is that we're very fortunate to escape with only one muscular injury to Zielinski from this game. I thought that the ref was too lenient with the Ajax players who were quite rough with us throughout the entire match. And okay, it's fine because we escaped kind of unscathed, hopefully. But I just really hope that, yes, we have depth and we, we can cover for players who are injured better than in the past. But at the same time, when we're playing these games whether that be in Serie A or Europe, because we're so skillful and we have so many players like Zielinski or Kvara who are so tricky to beat that, you know, if they're going to chop at them, they have to get yellowed right away. And I think that the first yellow card was given in, in that game was against Raspadori, which was unbelievable to me. Okay, maybe he deserved a yellow for doing that. And I don't even mind actually that Raspadori did that. I think that's a good sign. But the fact that, Almost at halftime, that was the first yellow given. Looking back on the, the way the game went, because I rewatched it, it's unbelievable how much they got away with. And yes, okay, they got a red, but that was after a lot of bad tackles happened. And I just want to say that these guys are, their health is on the line, their body's on the line, their entire profession is on the line. And I hope that in the future, the referees are more careful with our young superstars on this team who just get butchered all the time. So when I watch games, because I do the pod, the way I prepare just a little, you know, behind the scenes info for for the listeners is I take notes and I sort of highlight general themes. So I always have, you know, Napoli chances, Ajax chances, and then other sort of themes that that come out. And one of the themes that I recorded for this match was Ajax rough. (laughs) And I'll read to you my, my first couple of bullet points. 12th minute, Alvarez late tackle on Zielinski could have been a yellow. 13th minute, blind late tackle on Lozano could have been a yellow. 15th minute, Taylor very late tackle on Angisa. 21st minute, Raspadori yellow for heavy tackle, but similar to Alvarez. So yeah, I noticed that as well. And, and then in the second half, we saw some frustration tackles. Like Kudus, he got a yellow after making two pretty rough tackles in you know span of 30 seconds on that subject actually one thing i did want to ask you about because i was a little bit surprised about this during the match as well we scored the fourth goal in the 47th minute i believe 
We have a three-goal lead, but we didn't start making changes until the 64th minute, and then the fourth change, the fourth player, the second set of changes was in the 80th minute and the final one in the 84th minute. Do you think maybe Spalletti waited a little bit too long to make some of these changes that he could have reduced the risk of an injury had he just emptied the bench in the 60th minute, let's say? I mean, who am I to question Spalletti after he he painted this masterpiece? But I will say this. I was really worried because of Kvara in particular. It was him who I was looking at and he kept getting the rough treatment and being the the emerging superstar he is, he was the one guy who actually, you know, before he scored that incredible fifth goal that he scored, I was actually asking, you know, the game's already won. It's 4-1. Why is Kvada on the field? The other, the other subs I didn't mind when they came. I was, though, nervous and wanting Kvada to be subbed off in particular. However, luckily it worked out and it's good because he got a goal in the Champions League will only add more confidence to him. But I do think that it's always the, the trickiest players who tend to get fouled the most, obviously. And Kvara and Zielinski were really getting fouled a lot. There's no coincidence. Zielinski was taken off at halftime. And I, I do think Kvara could have been taken off earlier. Now, lucky it doesn't seem like the injury he sustained is going to be anything to keep him out of future games. So that's great. But if we've already beaten a team where we have an over three goal lead and we're dominating and they're being really rough, I wouldn't mind a little bit earlier taking off guys like Kvara, but you know, on the other hand, you know, it worked out in the end. So what can you do? Yeah, you're right. It is the tricky quick feet players that do tend to get the, the most of those rough tackles, both because they beat players and sometimes the only way to stop them is to foul them. And then also it can come off as showboating. And when you're already taking a beating, you're down four, one, five, one, the frustration is building up and, I mean, I do the same thing, <laughs> you know, when when I when the teams I play for are down big and players start showboating, I'm just going to try to hurt them at that point. And there was definitely frustration from the IX players we saw after the match as well that I guess we sent one of our staff to go exchange jerseys. I, I mean, normally this thing happens on the field. I, I didn't know this happens, you know, behind the scenes in the locker room and then their staff person came back and just gave us our jerseys back because they did not want to exchange uh, shirts. And I mean, I think it was Patrick Hendrick that commented on this on Twitter that, you know, he said, I can kind of understand why you wouldn't want something that symbolizes a 6-1 defeat <laughs> to be with you. So I guess I don't blame them too much. Well, I'll just say this. I kind of feel bad for Spalletti. He's not going to be able to add to his collection, you know, but uh, that's okay. I, I think if anyone deserved it from this game, actually, it was him to have an Ajax shirt, but we'll survive. We have a lot of uh, different kits under the EA7 banner, so I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, you know, maybe he was the one that sent that staff person over there to go get some shirts to mark the occasion. No, he will get another opportunity to get some Ajax shirts in, you know, a week's time, but Hopefully we just destroy them again and then they reject it again. All right. That is all we have time for, Vin. Thank you so much for joining me again. It's always a pleasure, Joe. Thanks again for having me. It's my pleasure. You can find Vincenzo on Twitter at VinBertillo. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Pod. I will be back later in the week to preview our match on Sunday against Cremonese. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre.
Social Podcast Network.